Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Uh, children, come on down for a minute before we dismiss you to Children's Church and Children's Choir. Let's have a word of prayer together. Come on down. Uh, come on down here just for a moment. And I just wonder, if you guys come down, if any of you ever, maybe with your friends or by yourself, ever did things to raise money, like maybe you mowed a lawn, washed cars, sold lemonade in this lemonade stand, or maybe sold something you made, any of you ever done that? Yeah, well, at least we got one enterprising person here. All right, good, okay. You know, sometimes you might do that. Maybe sometimes, say some friends of yours get together and say, you know what, we're going to help uh, cut lawns in our neighborhood or trim grass or we're going to sell lemonade at the lemonade stand. And you might want to get a health permit and everything first. But anyway, you do all that. And so you do that and you start making money, right? You guys all know what money is. Okay, all right, now we get some response. Okay, all right, don't get excited. I'm not going to give this away. Anyway, so you start making money, and you get your money, and so you got $20, and you go to the bank to deposit it, and because you're going to put it in your bank account, and the banker says, uh, sorry, that money is no good. That person gave you a counterfeit $20 bill. You know what, it, you know what counterfeit is? What is counterfeit, Sam? Fake. Exactly right. That's a better word for it. Fake. Counter means against counterfeit. So if you have run in a business and people were giving you money and you were having this problem of getting money that someone's cheating you and giving you counterfeit money, what would you do to train yourself so you would know when someone gives you money that that one is counterfeit? What would you do? Huh? How would you train yourself for that? What would you do, Sam? If it feels like real money, okay, good. You might feel it. You're good. Feel it. The zero money. Yeah. Put it in the light. That's a good idea. Yeah. Look at it very closely. You know what? I had someone one time. What, Ariana? What did you say? Look at the little what? The little the little print. Make sure it's nice and sharp. Little twenties. Okay. So I had somebody one time that worked for the government that told me, you know what, how, back in the old days at least, how they were trained to spot counterfeit. What you might think is the way you spot counterfeit is to study counterfeit money. Look at it carefully. Study it carefully so you know what a counterfeit dollar looks like. But you know what he said they did? What they did is they trained them to study really hard the real thing. If you study the real thing and notice every little nuance, every little bit of print, everything about it, and you are so familiar with the real thing, it's easier to spot the fake thing than if you studied this the fake thing. Study the real thing. You know, right, we have children's church and children's choir and Awana and Pioneer Girls and youth group, Sunday school. You know how we do that? We do that so that all of you can have a chance to learn God's Word, to learn it from other adults who really care about you and love you, because we want, when all is said and done, for all of you as you grow up, that you are so familiar with the real thing, the truth of God's Word, when someone tells you something that's not according to God's Word, that you would know that God's Word says this. We want you so familiar with the real truth.
fruit of God's Word. And that's why we do this. And that's why you're here today. And that's why we're going to have a word of prayer and dismiss you. And you guys continue to study and learn and worship together. And thank you for being here today. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for all these young people. And we pray your blessing on them as they look into your word, as they sing and learn your word through music, through lessons today. As we look into your word from Philippians, might we also learn to spot the truth and that the truth, as the Lord said, will set us free and that the truth will guide us in all ways. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Lord bless you. Guys, go on here. Philippians this morning, chapter 1. Let's look together at Philippians chapter 1. As we uh, began a new study last week from this epistle of Paul, and I know some of you, and many of you commented, you took time to read the letter, and I appreciate that. And uh, we're not legalistic. If you didn't do it, it's okay. Do it this week. All right? That's not that far behind. Uh, last week, we looked at the beginning, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, he begins this, as we looked at last week with a prayer. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I pray, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that was our introduction to Philippians last week. Um, this week we want to, uh, we're going to move ahead and we want to, as we can, our, our theme as we study Philippians together is sharing together. Throughout the book of Philippians, the epistle, the letter of Philippians. Remember I told you last week I try to remember called an epistle, a letter of Philippians. So if I call it the book of Philippians, raise your hand and say, hey, Jim, I missed that one there, okay? So sharing together is our theme. Sharing together. And today we want to talk about sharing together in spiritual growth. These young people, they grow up so fast, don't they? They grow up so fast. And before we know it, these young people will be in high school, will be in junior high, they'll be going on mission trips, they'll be serving the Lord, they'll be working in VBA. Before that, you know, the adults, it, it happens so fast. And we want to grow together in our spiritual growth. And so that's our theme this morning as we continue and look at the next set of verses. And I want you to look at verse 7. Paul says this, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Paul, can you feel the, remember we talked last week about the letter, that this has some of, some of the markings of a, of a letter of friendship. Can you, can you sense this warmth with this congregation? This, this depth of feeling that Paul has, I mean, the words he uses here, to feel this way about all of you, I have you in my heart. This, this depth of feeling that Paul has for these people, who this church that he helped to found on his, on his second missionary journey, these people that he has kept in touch with, these people who have supported him. And remember, Paul now is under house arrest. He is in Rome. He is dependent on those who can help him financially, we assume, so he can continue to have visitors, he can continue to write, continue to minister, even while he's in, under house arrest, in prison, if you will. It's a prison epistle. The Philippians have been partners with him. And he wants, he thanks them again. He thanks them for sharing with him and their partnership uh, in the gospel. We see in, at the end of verse 7, you, you share in God's grace with me. It's the same word we saw earlier last week of koinonia, of, sh of sharing 
and partnership. Last week we talked about partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the ministry and in our partnership together. Paul said, it's right for me to feel this way about you. I want you to notice in verse 7 where Paul says, um, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, you all share in God's grace with me. Those two words of confirming and defending really are legal words. They, they come from the legal context of his day. and It, it, it probably is reference to the fact that Paul says, I've had to make legal defense for, I'm in, I'm under arrest by the Romans. You get the impression from the book of Acts, they aren't really sure why they have Paul under arrest, but they have Paul under arrest, and so he has to make legal defense. Uh, we saw that a few weeks ago in 2 Timothy, and these two words come from the, the legal system, the court system, and I think Paul is saying, whether I'm in chains, or whether I'm in front of the government officials making my case, we're all in this together as Christians. Paul has been arrested, evidently, as sort of a ringleader of this new sect, uh, the, the Christians, as they saw it, the sec, a sect of Judaism. And, and, and Paul says, we're in this together. And, and whether, we are, we, whether I am in chains, bound, or whether I am having an opportunity to, to, to explain my case, Paul says, we share in this. You share in this because you are praying for me, you are supporting me, and I am praying for you. He's confirming and defending the gospel. And he says in verse 8, this is a strong statement. God can testify. I think some of the translation says in verse 8, God is my witness. This is a, this is a strong uh, uh, appeal that God is my witness. If you have any doubt about this, I call God to be my witness. Again, we're kind of back in this legal terminology. God is my witness. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of of Christ Jesus. Don't you, do you get the warmth in this letter? Huh? Longing, affection, have you in my heart, sharing. You get the warmth that he has with these people. It's interesting, this word for the affection of Jesus Christ. It's kind of an interesting word that's kind of pronounced sort of splangya. It's kind of a, a but, but the word sometimes, well, the old, the older translations talked about the bowels of Jesus Christ, right? In the King James translation, the bowels of Jesus Christ. To us, you know, I say bowels, it kind of, you think of our intestine. We don't generally say that, right? I don't generally go up here and say, oh, I just long for you in my bowels, all of you, right? <laughs> that just sounds like kind of hospital language or something, maybe, you know. But in the Greek world, that, that word actually had to do more with the vital upper organs of, of the liver, the lungs, this area of your body. Well, think about it. Next time you're in the road and you and you have a close call, right? And you go, that was close. Where do you feel it? Don't you kind of feel it in here? And and this is the idea that the seat of emotions and feelings right near the heart. He's talked about the heart. And so this this is how they spoke about it. They talked about this area of our body. The, think of the lungs and the, and the liver and this this area, upper part here. That the feeling. And Paul says, I have this deep feeling. I can, I mean, I can feel it. Physically, I can feel my longing in Christ Jesus for you all. Paul has such care and compassion and love for this church, and he's so, he's, remember, he's praying for them. We, we saw from last week, and we see in verse 3, I thank God every time I remember you in all my prayers. This is why. Do you have deep feeling for brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ? When, when you serve the Lord, those of you who have Leadership roles, whether it's in Pioneer Girls Rwanda or teaching or youth group, VBA, leading Bible studies, 
do you have a do you ever have a just a real compassion and sometimes just a real physical feeling of of love and compassion for those who you are responsible for? Just as, as a parent does. Paul talks about nurturing these churches and, and he talks about at one point of being a like a nursing mother. He he has this compassion for these people. And Paul and, and the Lord has called all of us in Christian leadership. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you're in Christian leadership here today. Uh, you have the most important uh, flock under your care you will ever have. You will ever have as a, as a parent. And and God has called us to have this type of leadership. But I want you to notice what he says. This, this is a really, we're not going to take too much of this today. We're just going to go through verse 11. But after he says this, Paul confirms again his prayer to them. And he says to them, and this is my prayer. Now, it's, you know, I'm as guilty as you are. I'm quite certain. I mean, at least I know I'm guilty. I'm quite certain you might be as well. That every so often we tell people, oh, I'm praying for you. I pray for you. Right? I mean, it's almost sometimes a little bit of a byline or something. And, and do what? so what do we pray? When, when I say to someone, well, I'm praying for you. But what am I praying for you? What am I specific? What are you specifically praying for me? What are you specifically praying for our ministry? What are you praying for our young people? What am I praying for you? What exactly are we praying for? Paul is very specific here. He is very specific to share with them what he is praying. He's not just praying in general. Oh Lord, help the Philippians, help the Galatians, help the Colossians, help the Romans, help you know be with all the people in the world type of thing. Uh, he may have done that at times, but he says I'm praying specifically. And here is the content of Paul's prayer. And it's, a, and it's an amazing and a wonderful prayer. And there's so much we can learn from this prayer. And this is my prayer, first of all, that your love may abound more and more. It's the word agape. You've heard that word. It's from the New Testament. The word agape love. I've told you before that Christians didn't invent this word agape, where there are different Greek words for love, just like we have in our language. We talk about affection. We talk about compassion. We talk about love. We have different words uh, we use. They didn't invent this word, but in Christianity, because of the, the New Testament, this word agape becomes much more prevalent and, and rises up much more than other Greek literature of the day. You do not find this so so prominent as you do in the Bible because it's a word that reflects the Hebrew word for love as well that talks about God's redeeming, God's love that is that is so powerful, that is so complete. A, a love, agape love is a love that is not love with love expected in return. It's the kind of love that loves regardless. It's God's love. God, we, we've sung this morning. How, how can it be? We sang it. How can it be that I should gain? How is it possible that, that thou, my Lord, that thou should die for me? This is God's love. For God so loved the world that what? He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever would believe on Him should not perish but have eternal life. That is your offer of salvation. That, that, that God loves you. And we never want anybody to leave this place. I haven't heard that at least once. How much God loves you. And that Christ came and died on the cross to pay for your sins that you might have eternal life and forgiveness for sins. This agape love. But we are called also to have this agape love. We are, we are not God, but we are, we are imitators of God as dearly loved children, as Paul tells the Ephesians. 
We are called to have agape love. And look what he says here. This is my prayer. Here's what I'm praying, Philippians, specifically, that your love may abound more and more. I like um, uh, Weiss in his, in his translation, or maybe it was his commentary. He made the, he made the comment that it's like a river. Think of a river. You know, recently we've been made, we've been made aware of the of the flooding in, in the Midwest of our country, very severe. I have never lived near a, I've never lived near a flood zone, so I've never experienced it, but I certainly have seen it and been amazed when you go and look at a creek or a river in one condition, and then you see pictures. How is it possible? How does that How does that river just fill up? And overflow and, and, and to where people's homes are filled with water to the first level where before when you saw it was, it was just a river. This is the idea that, that Weiss uses this language in his commentary that of words in the New Testament that, that Paul says our love should just be overflowing. Our love should be abounding more and more. This agape love that we should be experiencing and we should be sharing as believers. Paul's praying for the Philippians that in their church that they would have this kind of love for one another. In their witness and testimony to the world, they would have this kind of love for the world, for others that God has. This agape love that it should be flowing and overabounding in abundance. A very rich word that Paul uses here. Some very unique words in, in Paul's epistle that are unique mostly to him. Not always, not completely, but this is one that, that he used. This word of Filling, pleroma of this completely overabundance and filling more and more. But as several of the commentators pointed out, as we as we as I studied this this week and made this contribution to our understanding of this, you know, uh, a river can a river can be very productive, very helpful, do very wonderful things, but it can also be very dangerous if the water gets out of control. Any of you experienced that? Been in a place where water has gotten, well, yeah, you work for the water, or Army Corps of Engineers. So Linda knows and, and Rita both know about this in the Army Corps of Engineers and Brother Norm McDonald, of course, that, that, that this is a serious issue. That water can be also, it can, it can overflow. And they made the point that, you know, our love com- completely abounding and, and, and not guided can also at times be a dangerous thing. You know, the point that, you, that that all we talk about is love. All you need is love, 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 love. And that's all you need. Well, is that all you really need? I mean, it's, it's a nice song. I get that. But, you know, is that all we need is love? What's unique about Christianity? Other religions talk about love. Other uh, secular people who have no belief in God talk about love. And they made the point here, as Paul goes on, I want you to notice this. He wants their love to abound more and more. But I want you to notice what what helps channel this love. First of all, in knowledge. And I want you to think of it this way. Let's look at it this way, of a, of a, of a river that that is that is contained. When Linda worked for the Army Corps and think about levees and so on. How you, how you contain this so that it's, it's useful, it's productive. That one side is knowledge. This is important. Paul says this. Your love may abound. And he just doesn't leave it there. I just pray for you that you're just full of love. But he says that your love might be guided by 
knowledge. Just what I was talking to the young people about. What do we want our young people? What are we trying to do? Why are we investing? Why do we have a history at our church of investing so many resources? I mean, just look at our facilities. Our Christian ed facilities are larger than our worship facility. The whole basement here, that entire floor over there, that entire L.A. Peterson Youth Center that was added in 1973, um, you know, it's much more than, than just this part where we come for our worship service. Why? We have invested in our youth and children's ministry and our Christian education ministries. I began my ministry 40 years ago in Christian education uh, full-time. I did it in Minneapolis, and I did it here for nine years. And it saddens me to see in the Christian world today that this is getting to be a lost art, if you will, of, of, of resources that go into Christian education. Of, of, of really taking seriously that our young people and children, they, they have a right to not just be entertained, but, but they, they should have an opportunity to really know God's Word, to interact with God's Word. There's Sunday school teachers here, know what I'm talking about, to spend time in a talk and to help them and to see them and to interact with their lives. And the same for you as adults, that we have knowledge. Where do we get our knowledge? What is our touchstone? What is our touchstone, if you will, for our knowledge? Is it not God's Word? We stand in a Reformation tradition at our church, the Reformation tradition, that, that says this, the Scriptures are our final authority in faith and practice. It's our final authority in what we think and believe and what we do. The final authority is not me as pastor or our elder board or any ecclesiastical group, we are here to teach God's Word. And as long as we are teaching what God's Word says and handling it correctly and, and take it serious, then yes, that authority. But the final authority, you have a right. You have a right and responsibility as, as Christians. If you are taught something that you think is contrary to God's Word, to, to, to engage, to talk about it. And we are open to that. Yes, it is important to have respect for authority. You know, our young people and children, again, we, we are teaching. We try to teach respect for authority. But at the same time, uh, we will never at this church say, don't you dare ask that question. You just trust me because I'm the pastor. Yeah, I've been wrong before. And I'll be wrong again. This is our final touchstone. Friends, this is our source of knowledge, is God's Word. And this is why it is so important that at our church that that, this, that the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, they are central. They are the center. And their communication to us through God's Word is essential to what we do in all aspects. Our music. Our music is based on God's Word. The songs we sing, the new songs, and the ones that we've known for years, they are based on truths from God's Word. We don't just make them up because they sound good or entertaining. Paul says, listen, Philippians, I'm praying for your love that it might grow and abound and overflow, but guided by knowledge. This is important. It's important what we're doing here. It's important that you read God's Word. It's important you think about God's Word. If yes, it's important that you study God's Word. It is important. Because this ultimately is our source, our final authority, in all we believe 
regarding what God wants us to have from him in terms of revelation. But notice the second thing. He says that you might abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Depth of insight. And it's interesting, again, several very, very fine Bible commentators that I, I like to use who, I, who are very good with the original language, they all made the same point. That the word that's used here has this implication of moral insight, of ethics. Moral insight, of ethics. What's ethical? What's right? It's one thing, and, and unfortunately, it's a, it's, a, it's a sad testimony when we have believers who, who study and know. I mean, I've talked with people who said, oh, my grandfather or whatever they were, they, you know, or mother, they, were, they really knew God's word, but oh boy, were they mean. <laughs> you know, that doesn't work. You know, it's, not, it's one thing to, to know God's word, but then also to put it in practice in, in ethics. What is right? And what is wrong? And isn't this interesting that Paul says, I am praying, Philippians, grow in your love. But this love, if it's going to really be effective and it's really going to be used by God, it should be bound or controlled, if you will, or let's say guided, so that this water is not destructive, but that this water is beautiful and helpful and, and, and does good things if we have knowledge and that knowledge helps us to have moral insight what is right and what is wrong, not according to our feelings, not according to our culture, not according to history, but according to God's Word. Isn't this a beautiful illustration? This is a beautiful illustration. I really appreciate it. Some of the authors making this point that it's like an overflowing river guided by knowledge and guided by values and ethics. What's the result of this? What's the result if, if we could pull this off? <laughs> huh? If this could really be true about me and about you, that, that my life is such that the genuine agape love that I have for my neighbors and my family and friends and my church family and your family and your friends, if my love could really be like God's love, what an amazing thing to have that kind of testimony. That people remember this as someone who genuinely loved. Because that love was built upon what we know of God's word and the values and ethics that we must live by as believers in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture. And here's the result. Paul says this, if, if we love this way, if this is what we do, our love will be guided by knowledge and insight. And here's what he says. I'm praying this for you so that, okay, in order that, here's the result, so that you may be able to, to discern what is best. Now, the other trans, older translation have things that differ, I believe. We have a great book that uh, Cornelius Stam wrote on dispensational theology that's been used by many people, things that differ. It's the same thought. What is, what is best? When it comes to knowing God's Word, what's the best way to understand God's Word? From our viewpoint of, of Scripture, we believe the best way to, to know God's Word is we take it as literal as possible and as free as necessary. Our first default is a literal interpretation of God's Word. If God's Word clearly says something, 
And we, have, we find ourselves having to do theological gymnastics to make it say something else. Why not take what it said? It's the most natural way to communicate, right? I mean, if I want to communicate to you, I talk in literal terms. If I use an analogy or metaphor, I'd make sure it's very clear to you that this is a metaphor or an allegory. And this is how God communicated. And, and, and if, if we take it, and, 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 and Paul says, listen, you will know what is right. Don't you want the best? Don't you want to have the best for your family, for your lives? And Paul says, if you do this, that if you, if you have love guided by knowledge and guided by values and ethics from Scripture, that if you may be able to discern what is best, to understand. That's why I was talking about the, the, the counterfeit. That's true, you know. The best way to spout a counterfeit is to be really familiar with the real thing. Doesn't that make sense? That's the best way to do it. That's why, frankly, I've never, you know, in my own personal opinion, I, I'm not, you know, when it comes to Satan, you know, when we're studying Scripture and it, and it talks about Satan, we deal with it in Scripture. I'm not one to spend seminars and lectures and so on on, on Satan. I want to know what, what does God say? What does God say about it? And when it comes to evil, what does God say about it? We can get caught up in, in all these different things and get so out of control Let's focus on what God says about it. Let's study it from that aspect. What is best? Paul says, listen, I my prayer is that you might know, that you might know and be able to discern what is best. And secondly, he says that you might be pure and blameless. The word for pure here is connected to the word for light, helie, uh, helios, you know, the sun, and the idea that you, you take a garment or something and you hold it up to the light to see that it is to see that it is pure. This idea that the light and the warmth of the sun can help us can help us with purity and seeing things. And Paul says, I want your love to be pure. I want it to be pure. I want it to be genuine and then blameless. And this would be with the word you would use for testing a coin to see if it's real or not. And this has to do with our lives together. This word blameless has to do with how we treat one another. That, that, that we are not here to, to raise issues that, that, that cause others to stumble. I want to be blameless. I want you to be blameless. We all want to be blameless and no one says, well, boy, Pastor Jim really, really caused me to mess up on that one. But that you did that for someone else. I want to be blameless in that sense. That's what the word has to do. It has to do with our life together. That we, that we are blameless to the best of what God can enable us to do. So we are helping each other. We need each other to do these things. You can't do this alone. I don't think it's a very good idea. When people say, I don't need church. Well, I disagree. <laughs> I know I work at a church, so you expect me to say that. But I think this is the way we've been doing it for 2,000 years. We do need each other. And we need to help each other. And Paul says, I want, to be, I want us to be pure and I want us to be blameless. So we're not causing other people to stumble and fall because of, because we're just not paying attention to what God's word says and what it means to our lives. And then Paul says this, that you would be, isn't it beautiful? Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, all those wonderful characteristics. 
of, of that, that we are to have from the Holy Spirit. We are to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Righteousness, doing what is right, living what is right. This should be obvious in our lives. There should be fruit in our lives. And then finally, he says this, for the glory of God, that you would be filled with the fruits of righteousness, pure and blameless, until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes, what? Here's the important thing. Through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. We can talk about all these things, but let's not forget, ultimately, we are Christians. We are Christ ones. We are talking about Jesus Christ and what He has done for us and how He wants us to live. You know, I'm thinking about this. How do we do this? It's easy to talk about this. But you know, we, we live in a we live in a difficult time. We live in a difficult time. Our young people are being challenged in ways and thinking and values that that um, that, that, are, that are new in our culture and, and the bombardment every minute of how to think and what is right and what is wrong. I appreciate what one of the one of the commentators I use, his name is Hawthorne in the Word Biblical series says this that we need to have the ability to make proper and moral decisions in the midst of a vast array of differing and difficult choices that are constantly presenting themselves to the Christian. Isn't that true? We need this ability. We need this ability in, in the face of this vast array of different opinions and different values and the culture that we live in and we are being challenged to, 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 to mold the Scriptures to the culture rather than take the Scriptures as our touchstone. These are presenting to, them, to us daily, hourly, by the minute. And I know some of you in your work and in your places of you know schools, so you, you, you face this all the time. I know it's challenging. How do we do this? How do we do this? You know, it's... Um, how do we do it? I mean, what's our example? I think it's Jesus Christ. Think of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the values of reading the Gospels and meditating on the Gospels and, and, re, and watching and looking at the Lord's life. In, 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 his, in His day, was He ever... Was he ever challenged and was he ever attacked about being soft on sin because of his love and compassion? Well, yeah. Who, look at him. He's eating with tax collectors. If he really knew what those people were like, he would know better. He was accused of being soft on sin. We will be accused of being soft on sin. If we teach God's compassion and love and restoration and forgiveness and reconciliation, there are times we will be confused, we will be accused of being soft on sin. Just like our Lord was. Was there times when people read the scriptures today and they say, boy, he was harsh. I mean, you read the Gospels. You will read more about hell and heaven and judgment in the Gospels than anywhere else in the Bible. Because the Lord spoke truth. 
And there are values outside of us that are established by God, that are right and wrong. And yes, Jesus was compassionate and loving and forgiving. And then said, go and sin no more. And he accused the righteous and the, and the religious leaders who were, who were self-righteous of white, being whitewashed tombs in, in, a, in a beautiful building full of dead bones. He told the demons, stop it. And so you think of these boundaries in our Lord's life. I think about that. How do, how do we today make these decisions? I mean, I, I must say I, I've been saddened this week to hear accusations against Christian organizations that I'm familiar with being called bigoted and hate mongers because they hold a traditional view of, of the Bible when it comes to issues on, on marriage. And they're called bigoted and hate mongers. Listen, friends. We as Christians, we have a rich history in being this overflowing river of love. Who are the first people on the ground in a world disaster. Huh? Isn't it people from our own community? World relief, world visions, aren't they usually the first ones on the ground? Who has fed more hungry people in this world without any cost to any government or asking anything in return? Who has opened more free medical clinics around this world and treated more people without anything asked in return? Who has housed more homeless? Who has the history of successful housing of homeless in our own very community. You can name the organizations. Ministries like Jacob's Well, right here in our community that we've been involved with and many of you know about. We as Christians have a rich history and a rich tradition of being compassionate and loving. And yes, what's the solution? Friends, the solution is Keep on doing this. We, we ask for nothing in return. Do we offer the gospel? Do we want to see people come to know Christ as Savior? Unapologetically, yes. Because the Lord said, whether we like it or not, I am the way. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father, what? But by me. Is that true or not true? If this is our source of knowledge, friends, it's true. And yes, we preach that. Yes, we teach that. Yes, our desire is to see all people, as the Apostle Paul said. And is, is God's desire that no one is lost. That's his desire. We unapologetically will continue to be this river of love and compassion. Are we going to be accused of being soft on sin by some? Yes. Are we going to be accused of being bigots and hate mongers by others? Yes. What did our Lord Jesus Christ say? The Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 15, He says, don't, don't be surprised. Listen, a servant is not above the Master. I am the Master. And if I am accused of these things, and if I am opposed, and I am ridiculed for, for, te for teaching the truth of God's Word, then don't be surprised. And, and friends, this, this is not a day for us as, as Christian believers for us to, to pull back and to pull in, inward and give up. We must be a people. We must be a church. We must be families, parents, who are going to God. We must have engagement. We must be free to ask the questions. And you are free to ask the questions. You are free to come to us and say, 
this is, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm struggling with this. This is true. I've got some difficult choices. I've got some difficult issues. And there's this whole array of choices. And what, pastor, elders, leaders, friends, what does the Bible say? What do we do as Christians? Listen, friends, we should be going to God's Word. And at some point saying, you know what? Whether it's popular or not, this is what God's Word says. And we are going to stand with that. And we should be people who are going to our world and our community without any expectation in return to continue to give and give and give and give and love and compassion and serve because that's what our Lord Jesus Christ said. Amen? That's what we are called to. That's why we are called to. And that's why I really love this picture that, that kind of came out in the study this week. Paul says, I am praying, Philippians, that your love might just overflow first in your own assembly and then to your world, but might it be guided by knowledge. It's important to know what God says. And secondly, might your values and morality and ethics be guided finally by what the Bible says. And let's just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Will there be opposition? Yes. Will there be results and fruit? Yes. Because ultimately, it's God's Word. Let's close our service with our final hymn. And let's remember to pray for one another. Let's pray for our children. And let's pray specifically, as Paul does, for the growth and the spiritual maturity that we can have through our Lord Jesus Christ because of His Word and His love and compassion for us. Will you stand with us one more time? And let's bow our heads in prayer as we conclude our worship time together today. And thank you for coming to share. We need each other. We need to be here. It's a beautiful day, and thank you for coming. Father, uh, we think of the Israelites as they stood on the Jordan River, and Joshua as he had to lead those people into that new land. And he was told over and over, Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. And Lord, we are in new territory today, as always. And Lord, uh, we need courage. We need strength. We need compassion and love. We need to be people who are known by living according to what we believe in all aspects of our lives. Not a pick and choose, but in all aspects. And Father, I just pray that as we have shared your word this morning in Sunday school and church with our children, as we gather tonight, we gather throughout the week, that the result of our time spent with you and time spent in your word will result in lives exemplify the truth, the morality, the values, and the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whose name we claim to belong. And it's in His beautiful name we leave this place today. Amen.